So Money episode 1159, Fee Gentry, real estate agent and agent for change. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. For the younger women, I always say skip the spouse and buy the house because it's a better investment. Welcome to So Money, everybody. If you're interested in investing in real estate this year, our guest today has advice. In particular, if you are a woman or a person of color, you definitely want to keep listening. Our guest is Fee Gentry, who calls herself not only a real estate agent, but also an agent for change. She is dedicated to building an equitable real estate industry from the inside out. After earning her MBA and starting several businesses, in many different industries, including fitness and sports. Fee became a realtor in 2004. And for the last 15 years, she has generated lots of opportunities for herself and clients, helping them to accomplish their own homeownership goals. Fee and I discuss the need for more equity in the real estate industry, both in the agent community and in the buying and selling community. How to prepare for bidding on an investment property this year, what to expect, what kind of financials you may have to present, and so much more. Here's Fee. Gentry. Fee Gentry, welcome to So Money. Very excited to talk about real estate at the top of the year. Yes, yes, yes. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> let's talk about all the things, homeownership, wealth creation, but also let's talk about women and people of color. This is really your intersection. Uh, as somebody who is a real estate licensed real estate agent, you've sold over 500 homes in your career or been in that those transactions. You also work for EXP, which is a real estate company, a real estate holding company. Tell us about first why you're so passionate about real estate because you, you had a career before this. You have an MBA, you have been an entrepreneur, you have worked in various industries, and I believe also worked alongside athletes for the NFL, the NBA. So what drew you to real estate? Honestly, Farnoosh, it was plan F. I was in, (laughs) I'm just gonna be honest with you. I was in graduate school and was burned out because I had owned another company and I dropped out of physical therapy school. And I'm like, well, what next? Right. And so at the time, my mom was building a home and it was going very badly. Like in the, rep- in the real estate agent that was representing her did a really poor job. And so long story short, the commissioner of Texas had to intervene. And, and so she just, there's something about her that said, I think you'd be really good in real estate. And I'm like, you am like, I went to school, I have two master's degrees, I got an MBA. Why would I do real estate? You know? And, mm. uh, she, and, and she said, I think you'd be in the top 1%. And it made sense to me because I knew that I had aspirations of being financially independent, and I knew that 90% of people who were wealthy delved in the real world of real estate. And so it just seemed like a perfect match for my personality, et cetera. As a matter of fact, I did a disc test, and it like, I tested in like the 90-something percentile for it. And so, wow. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I could not believe like all the check boxes. What are the, are the personality traits or the, you know, what are what are the personal skill areas that, that make you well-suited for real estate. Right. It's, it's um, kind of like we just talked about 
entrepreneurial, right? So you're innovative, being able to multitask, a risk taker, self-starter, able to create relationships because that's what real estate is. It's a relationship business and create relationships quickly and then be able to do, you know, forecast and see things in the future. So, I mean, um, and then and then advocate for your client, like being a huge advocate. And so I came from all of those things, from community service, from sports, being competitive, you know, all that, all those things just made a great, you know, great fit for me as an entrepreneur and, and as a real estate person. Yeah. A lot of my listeners are obsessed with, with real estate, myself included. I would love to hear your pitch fee with regards to why real estate is and continues to be a great way to build wealth because you know it's gotten a bad rap over the years, especially since the housing crash. This idea that a home can be a source of wealth is a subject to debate more more than ever. But obviously you're a fan, you've made a lot of success in this industry and you've helped others find success. So tell us why you think that this is still a great wealth building sector. Sure. The reason that I'm bullish on it, and I'm bullish on it to a certain degree, but I'm not, you know, unwise. I, I understand that there are other perspectives. Real estate, a couple of different things. One, land, they're not making any more of it, right? And so real estate, historically, if you look at anything, it's kind of like any other sector, real estate has historically gone up. Yes, there are bubbles, just like, I mean, just like the stock market or any other industries, it's gone up and down. But long term, real estate has never gone down. We don't see $40,000 homes anymore, right? We don't see $100,000 homes because the value of real estate continues to grow. The other part is it's a physical, tangible asset. People can touch, feel, and go to that. And they can also use, leverage it for other investments. So you can take equity out of it. And then here's the best thing about real estate. Let me tell you a story about my client who, and I'm in the Austin market. So for those of you who don't know, Austin is one of the top five markets in the world, um, in the United States, I'm sorry, not in the world. I had a single female come to me in 2015. She only had $180,000 to invest in buying a home. She purchased the home. She calls me back five years later and go, Fee, we want to, you know, I'm ready to get my next home. Not only did she get to keep that home, we took out over $160,000 of equity out of the house because that house is now worth $370,000 plus <laughs> we took out of that home and she invested in buying a new home. So just to clarify, investing in a home, what we're talking about right now is not the same as buying a home that you're going to live in it. Uh, when we talk about investing in real estate and why it's so successful and great, is if you're kind of approaching it as an investor. Correct. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you're that's the mindset. We used to live in homes for 30, 40 years. Now people are living in homes for five to seven years and they're using it to springboard them to the next level of to their next living place or the next level of living, right? So that's how you can use it as an investment and, and leverage that as, and think about, like I said, the mindset mm -hmm. as an investor. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, right. And I think, so I just, I think I want to get more to the mindset of this because there's definitely, there's two roads you can take here. You can buy a home that is not an investment and that's fine because you're planning to live in it for the next 20 years. When you do the math and I know the price will go up, the value of the home will go up, but you factor in the interest on the mortgage, you factor in the maintenance, the taxes, all of it. Are you really making a profit? That's not a guarantee. What we're talking about is investing where maybe you do live in the home, maybe you don't, but it's really you, your approach 
has to be different. You're not looking at the same things as someone who's looking to buy a home to live in for the next 15 years. That's correct. So for that person who's listening, who's like, I want to be that client of yours who started out with $180,000, what were the criteria that you were focusing on? And then we can talk also about doing this as a woman and as a person of color, which is also your expertise. Sure, sure. So the criteria usually are location, right? Schools, and then what's your, and then let's talk about your goals. How long do you want to hold this home? What are you using this for as a tool, right? Where can you get the best bang for your buck for this house? You know, is your ROI 8% a year or are you looking for 20%? That's the mindset that you want to look at when you're, when you're investing in these homes. You know, is it close to a tech center? Is it close to good schools? And I always suggest buying new home construction because history has shown that the first five years of ownership compared to someone who buys a resale home shows that equity in a brand new construction home grows faster than that of a resale home, mm-hmm. which you were talking about was notable deferred maintenance on those homes, right? When you start having to invest in AC, ACs, right. you know, water, uh, water heaters and roofing, those big budget items. What was your first home buying experience like? Or maybe you could also talk about your first transaction that you helped facilitate as an, as an agent. Oh, gosh, that was so long ago. Um, I'm trying to think of my first... Isn't that funny that I almost don't remember my first home? Yes, I do. Or anything that really stands out because <laughs> yeah. of just, you know, the experience was so unique. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I talked about Serena, that, that house that just happened five years ago. That was one. But um, because I worked in a military town... Some of the things that were that were interesting is helping her husband, a widow, her husband was killed in combat. So she had to sell a house and then we had to go get, put her in a new home. And that was a really life-changing transition for a single woman at that, you know, who, newly widowed woman who lost um, her husband in, in the war in Iraq and then having to buy a new home, but that she had the equity in the home to buy a new home and that she was able to, you know, sustain her children's life with that. So I, I think that was probably a big one. My own home buying experiences. And I'm going to, let me tell you about this. I'm yeah. in, I'm in transition now with me and I was leaving one place and getting ready to buy a new house, but I'm looking at building a new construction home and it's more than what I want to pay. And I got scared. And my friend and client had to remind me she was fee remind yourself of what you told us, which is it's an investment and about real estate is that you have options with it. She goes, if you, you know, if something God forbid happened in the marketplace, you can lease it, you can sell it. You, you have options with this. And I, and I literally just had to get coach back up myself, like coach myself back up. And actually it was one of my former clients who did that for me. So, so yeah, I, I know what it's like to be uh, in that currently like in that space. Yeah. In addition to being an agent, you also uh, work for a company that has put you in the role of leading their diversity and inclusion initiatives as diversity and inclusion officer at EXP. Why was that important to the company? And is this a trend in real estate where we're, we're seeing it across a lot of industries, but in particular, why is this very important for real estate? Let's go back first. It's a core value for EXP. Um, we've got nine core values and one of those core values is about, you know, community collaboration. And so when Glenn Sanford founded the company, he and I were actually the two who founded One EXP together and the initiative. And it was important because it's important for us as a community to represent for the agents look like the rep- representative of the communities that they represent, right? For buyers and sellers. So that was number one. We also know that companies that are more diverse and inclusive 
have these programs within them are more productive, more profitable, and then it's also a retention tool. And so that's why it's important. And yes, it's become more trendy, especially after the events of the summer. However, it's been in the DNA of EXP for like the last 12 years. We just now established the program though, like uh, two years ago almost. Yeah. So you kind of work both sides where you're working at EXP sort of to help this company drive more diversity inclusion within its company and also throughout the, you know, obviously the, the agents that it rep, that it works with, the 41,000 agents, you said, mm-hmm. but also as a buyer who's in the market, as an individual who's either a person of color or a woman, what are the obstacles that you see and how are you advocating for your clients in the market? Sure. The biggest things that we're seeing now are, you know, what has happened historically are is, is redlining. So that's the number one thing that's happening. And then um, some of those covenants that are happening. And sometimes we don't even have proof that it's happening or clients don't even know that it's happening to them until studies start happening. So they start doing uh, field tests and studies in the marketplace. That's some of the things that we do is we advocate for our our clients and give and tell them the warning signs of being redlined or having high declines in their mortgage approvals or being steered to certain communities. That's kind of the biggest thing that we that I'm looking at uh, working with our agents. I've also been seeing how some uh, real estate listings are changing the way that they characterize listings. So the master bedroom Mm -hmm. is a bit offensive. And that's just like a very small example. But do you see that were other opportunities for changing the, the narrative and the communication in real estate? Correct. A law just passed within NAR and it became effective in November. So it's any hateful speech, whether it's your own personal Facebook or social media pages, you are seen as a public figure. And so to clean up the industry, that has happened that agents no longer can participate in, you know, whether it's political speech, hate speech, anything that is discriminatory or seem, seen as harmful to our brand as a real estate agent or realtor. And so that has happened. We've also seen the collaboration of agents who were not able to get in prime markets in, in real estate, for example, luxury. So now that's opening up a little bit more. And it's slowly but surely changing we're seeing, you know, people like myself get on boards of directors or to, and then people are form, formulating, you know, diversity and inclusion initiatives through certain companies and through, you know, MLS boards all across the, all across the country. And then going out into communities and, and talking to consumers about discriminatory practices and what that looks like. I'd love for the time that we have left is sort of walk us through, Fee, the experience of buying a real estate as an investment. And I, I want to do this because I kind of want to pull back the curtain for people who may not have ever done the process, who might be intimidated. Millennials are the fastest group of home buyers right now. And women are buying at a faster clip than men within that cohort. And so walk us through the experience. I want to know how to best negotiate right now as a, as a buyer. It seems like it's a real seller's market, but maybe right. there are opportunities for buyers. And then I want to get to the financial part of all of this. What do we need? What are the ducks we have to have in a row? Because I also understand that if you're buying something that's an investment property, it's a bit different in terms of underwriting and what the bank will want from you. So getting real tactical at this point, but I think this would really benefit listeners. So first, maybe tell us a little bit about what are the opportunities and negotiations that are available to buyers right now? 
we are at historical lows in terms of inventory. I mean, right now, the national inventory declined over 39.2% over this time year over year last year. So right now, like you said, it's a huge seller's market and there are multiple offers all over the country. Yet there are still opportunities, right? So the opportunities, and, I, and I'll, like I said, talk to women, let's, we'll speak to women that there's still home buyer programs that are available. Um, there are grants that are available. There are USDA loans available if you are willing to live not in you know the inner cities. And we see that trend that people are now moving to the suburbs <laughs> and people are moving more rural because they now are working remote. So they can afford to not have to work in the office and they can afford to you know move out further out. So the opportunities, like I said, are for people to apply for loans because we're we're still at historic interest rates are very, very low. I think today it was what, 2.8% on a um, FHA loan or conventional, I think it's like 2.7% on a 30-year fixed mortgage. And so you'd have to check with your lender, um, the rates change every day, but the opportunities are there. And and people have this misguided belief that you remember, you know, our parents had to have 20% down, but now you only have to have three and a half percent down. Or in like I say, in case, in certain cases, you may only need $500 down to get in a home. You know, if it's a, especially if it's like a national home builder, it's really, I wouldn't a, recommend that. Just, just, just <laughs> yeah, don't exactly. do that anyway. Yeah, do not right. do But I'm saying you can get in for little to nothing. Um, you know, like the VA loans and all that, but yeah, you're going to, I wouldn't recommend that either, but, but sometimes you do because the inflation is going up so much. I mean, when you have economists predicting 10% increase in how in homes this time next year, people are getting priced out of affordable home homes, especially those who are entering in the marketplace. So they can't save fast enough if they have a, a quote, regular job, again, see your financial counselor, but they have to figure out, do I get in now? And, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but believe that for the long-term investment that it's worth it for them to get in now by any means that they can, obviously not with a bad loan, but that they can get in now with low interest rates because they can't save enough um, in the future to, to get into a home. Yeah. I mean, I think just to go back on that for a minute, so people aren't like, what? No, no, no FHA loan for three and a half percent ever. I think that to your point, you do need to have a real long-term horizon. If you are mm-hmm. someone who is in transition, you're not sure about the location, you are, you know, life's uncertain for everybody. But I think if you know that you are at least with full faith, going to stay in that home for a while, because three and a half percent equity, if that's your only amount of skin in the game, you better believe there's going to be some years where you're underwater because that's just too little and things can be much more volatile. So it's like stocks, right? You know, some days are going to go down, some years are going to be up, some years are going to be down. But if you have that long-term hold, it should it should historically benefit you. Not something to rush into hastily simply because it's such a sweet deal. So are there any negotiation possible? Like, can you negotiate right now with housing inventory nope. being so low? I mean, let, let's just be honest let's look at good values instead of good deals. And that's what I have to, that's what I have to talk to my clients about. Now, a good value is something that makes sense for you personally. Good value. If it's close to schools, is it in a great neighborhood? You know, does it have the amenities that you want? Is the tax rate pretty decent or favorable? It's, you know, cause sometimes taxes, you know, the taxation parts are the parts that cause the most angst for homeowners mm-hmm. that, that cause them to be priced out of a marketplace as well. And so the negotiation parts are going to a builder. And I, like I said, I specialize in home construction. So, you know, so this is the gospel according, you know, according to fee gentry, not what other people might advocate. But if you're going to a builder, 
and you're working within their system, they will pay for your closing costs. They might negotiate and they'll include some blinds and washer dryer packages. They're still paying for certain closing costs, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. so that's what I'm talking about in terms of value. Or there might be a bust out, which we call it. And that's kind of what's happening right now is that, you know, some people aren't able to close on the home. And so they can swoop up and get a deal because the, the builder doesn't want to leave that inventory out for long because, it, you know, because it'd been off the market and they want to get it off the books. So those deals are negotiable. But mm. other parts of the country, and I, I talked to agents around the country and, you know, a story that I just heard in Florida where they did 75 showings and she got over $130,000 over asking price on the house. Oh my gosh. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. In our town in New Jersey. Yeah. Similar, similar stories. What about cities like New York, Los Angeles? I think definitely New York, there's a cooling of prices simply because, mm-hmm. well, it's right now it's going through hell yep. and many people have left and uh, landlords and builders and developers are hurting. Obviously, prices are coming down. So do you think there are opportunities in, in the cities like New York yes, to get in gonna- low? Yeah, I was going to talk to you about that. Some of the economists are talking about that. Like you said, in cities like New York, Miami's having some issues, uh, Las Vegas, California, like you said, LA, there are some opportunities to, like like you said, unfortunately, other people's you know demise is other people's opportunities. And so, yes, there's some opportunities and you just have to watch it because I have seen, you know, places where dumpsters or, you know, big dumpsters are starting to show up in front of people's homes and start, you know, apartment buildings and all that. So, yes, there are some opportunities. Again, you know, market timing is everything. So you want to see, you know, how much lower it's going to drop down before people start to invest. I think a lot of investors' money is is sitting on the sidelines right now. They're waiting, you know, they're waiting for the market to go down just a little bit because obviously the government is still propping up the economy right now. Um, And we don't know what the second round of stimulus is going to look like yet. Okay. So take us to the financing. I have once purchased a home that classified as an investment property. When I got that mortgage, I really needed to have my 20 to 30% down and I really need to have my ducks in a row because typically if this is your second home or your investment property, there's more scrutiny uh, is from my understanding. But so tell us how we can best prepare for that application process. Let me say this because for the record, I am a licensed real estate agent. And so by me talking about mortgages would be constitute me practicing uh, lending. However, <laughs> with that said, how oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like me practicing law, right? I mean, like there's certain things I can't cross those boundaries, but yeah, with, with, with real estate agents, we have to stay in our lane. So my lane is in real estate, but when we're preparing clients for, you know, getting ready, ready for mortgages, you know, it's definitely making sure their debt to income ratios are very low. Typically lenders like to see, you know, below 36%. They want to see the reserves in, in your accounts. Um, they want to see, you know, stable history. So two years on your current job, or if you are self-employed, they want to see, you know, six months to a year of money in reserves. They look at your spending habits. I mean, it's amazing. And people don't realize, you know, there's different types of FICO scores. You know, there's FICO 2, FICO 8, FICO 5, and I think like FICO 10, uh, 10T, that's that new one that's coming out. Yes. And so there's different, you know, there's different types of FICO scores that, that lenders are looking at. Prepare yourself for all of those. And, and it is really a mental battle more than anything because it's so intrusive and people aren't used to that. Like I've been through the process a lot. And this last spring was the hardest one because 
of just the world that we live in. And I think the pandemic and the recession is adding even more, I guess, rightfully so. You know, the banks are far more concerned about who they're going to go into business with. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We're at two points. I mean, there's not a lot of skin, right? You have 2.7% interest rates, 2.8% interest rates. So these institutional investors, they're, you know, they're not making, well, they're still making a lot of money, but they're not making as much money. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, per se, on these loans that they used to, you know, we had 6%, you know, I bought my first property, I think it was like 7.9% interest. I think I remember someone saying in like, I don't know, the 80s, they had double digit interest on their mortgage. Yeah, like at 13%. And and they had to have 20% down, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but houses, you know, houses didn't cost, you know, half a million dollars like they do now. Parting advice for our women listeners who want to get in on the real estate market as an investor, what's the number one thing you want them to know about the process or a myth you want to bust just so that we can encourage more women to get in on this if they want to and they can? And P.S., like I mentioned earlier, we are a force to be reckoned with in this when it comes to real estate. We are what the second biggest demographic after millennials. Women are 19% of the homes that were purchased in 2019 and 2020. That's a huge demographic. And the the median age of first time female homebuyers is 33. And then the second group that's even better than that, that's even doing better than that, are women 59. (laughs) (laughs) Who are buying their second and third and, and investment. Women are buying like their investment properties and or like their vacation homes who are starting at age 59. So that's even better. My takeaway for women who are listening here for investment is to begin with the end in mind. What is it that you want to accomplish? And how does it fit into your life goals, your plans, your strategies? And then this is what I always do. And I kind of talk to you about this, Varnoosh, is for the younger women, I always say, skip the spouse and buy the house because it's a better investment initially, right? Instead of, you know, spending $30,000 on a wedding, chicken don't wait for the wedding. Yeah. Don't wait for the wedding. Yeah. That's it. Don't wait for the wedding. Invest in yourself. And if you're scared, kind of like what we talked about earlier, you have exit strategies. You know, you can always sell it. You can Airbnb it in certain places. Yes, thank you know what I mean? So there's Airbnb has really done a number on the industry, like a good yeah. number, I think. Yeah I, mean, yeah. I mean, can you imagine how Airbnb owns no properties, but they're like, you know, they're I think more wealthier than Hilton and Marriott? I mean, yeah. I mean, well, that's, I mean, yeah. that's my takeaway for women and people and people of color. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Fee, we so appreciate your work in this field and for giving us some behind the scenes of the process as we start the new year. I know a lot of people are looking to up-level their finances and real estate can be a way to build wealth if you do it right, if you do it methodically. And so we really appreciate you for all your advice and your insights. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Fee for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Fee, who again specializes in the Austin market, head to Fee Gentry, that's F-E-E-G-E-N-T-R-Y dot com. Stay tuned for Ask Farnoosh Friday and get your questions in for me. You can email me, Farnoosh at SoMoneyPodcast.com. You can hit me up on Instagram, send me a private direct message there, or you can click on Ask Farnoosh on the website at SoMoneyPodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. So money.